Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined by Philip Russell. We are missing our third. Ryan is still traveling for work, making that money, securing that bag, if you will. And so you're stuck with uh, me and Philip for another uh, another episode. Philip, just the two of us, man. You think we can? We think we can rock this for another one. I think we can do it, and I think there's only one appropriate place to begin. Listeners, listeners will be familiar with the fact that we are the number one Phoenix Suns podcast out of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Amen. That being said, I need to do a check-in on my boy, Ethan, because his Wildcats this week took a tough L. Ethan, how are you doing after your team lost in a 215 matchup? We got peacocked, man. I mean, what more can you say? Uh, uh, let's let's go through the quick mental recap of the whole thing. I my bracket may have shown confidence in Kentucky. My brain did not. Anyone that watched, and I know, sorry, listeners, probably not watching the SEC tournament like you are some of the stuff out west. But the Cats didn't look good. I mean, their loss in the SEC tournament was their worst game of the year offensively. And it kind of shed light on what I already think of Coach Calipari basketball, which is there's a lot of talent, a lot of athleticism, not a lot of offense being run. And if you play against a good team that can scheme, that can game plan, that can figure you out, you're going to be in trouble. And it didn't make it any less tough dropping a, a uh, yeah, two to a 15. That's going to be tough. Those are the things that we as Kentucky fans like to hold over, like Duke fans and stuff like that. I think they had like Duke Mercer maybe was their 215 loss. Uh, but yeah, a bit of a bummer. And and it was to start the whole tournament. So you then just have this, I don't know, just general pessimism and sadness that, that looms over every game. Uh, I will say, though, the Peacocks did go on to beat Murray State, another Kentucky school. So at least it wasn't like a one random win type thing. Like they're well coached. They're a lot of fun to watch. I was cheering for them in the game against Murray State, which I know some of my Kentucky friends won't love. But they're a fun team. And if you're going to lose, at least lose to a fun team with a fun story, a fun coach. And goodness, dude, did you watch any of that? They run some offense like Good, good set play type offense. And it was beautiful. So I keep up. I keep up with Kentucky sports for the for the sole purpose of knowing the emotional state of my friends and my immediate family after the game. So I watched some of the UK game and then I caught pretty much the second half of the Murray State game. And I was really impressed by St. Peter's and kind of the relentlessness with which they run their sets. And they were getting pretty good looks and really good looks for for the college game. But I was interested to ask you as someone who is more invested in the tournament, who's spending exponentially more say, time you can watching, say hours upon hours yeah, every day. This yeah, week. That's fine. Watching exponentially more college basketball than I am. What has stood out to you about this tournament and maybe even do it through the lens of who are some of the players maybe who have caught your attention as you've been, we'll say, multifacetedly productive between your job and your uh, basketball enjoyment. 
No, for sure. I've had a had a pretty productive work week uh, mixed with a whole lot of college basketball <laughs> and three Suns games. So a lot going on. I would say the first thing that's worth mentioning, just in terms of looking at the tournament through an NBA landscape, is it looks like some of the best defensive college teams are wanting to force teams to attack in the mid-range. And what I'm seeing is, a lot of college offenses seem like they don't know what to do in the mid range. Uh, I was texting back and forth with a Tennessee fan watching their unfortunate loss and Tennessee has some competent shooters and they've got some incredible quickness and speed to get to the rim. And the defensive counter for that was, okay, we're going to hound you up top and we'll have a big fellow waiting for you down low, hit a 12 footer, hit a 15 footer. And you could just tell that that type of defense really throws offenses out of rhythm, especially in the college game, right? You see a lot of teams that are so dead set on getting hot from behind the line, or they can physically overpower maybe a smaller or a weaker team. And it just makes me very grateful through the lens of the Suns that we are able to watch at a professional level, a team that is well-equipped from scoring at all three levels. And it seemed like even some of the star players that I was told to watch for, and then I keep seeing on mock drafts and stuff. And, and I'll go ahead and throw myself kind of out, out there to be ridiculed by the draft nerds. When the Suns were bad, I cared significantly more about mock drafts and evaluations and watching certain players to see how they'd fit. Right, like I stayed up to watch Arizona basketball with DeAndre Ayton, when I thought the Suns had a chance at picking high. And there's so many other players. Uh, Jason Tatum was one I watched a bunch in college. Josh Jackson as well. You kind of figure out where the Suns may land and watch accordingly. Don't really have that anymore, right? Like, it's going to be hard to go pinpoint the 30th or 31st or whatever pick in the draft. And even if you try to do that, James Jones trades it away with Javon Carter and gets sham dog, right? Like, you can only do so much. So that was that was the thing for me that jumped out. Like I don't think any of the the tournament stars will ever trickle their way to Phoenix. Um, but just the lack of it seems preparation offensively for how to adjust to a defense that's giving you open looks in the middle, yet you're unwilling to take them. And it it crumbled a lot of teams so far in just the last few days. And that to me really stuck out as I've watched so much NBA basketball this year, where if you can't take care of business there, you're in trouble. I mean, just look at the Chicago game, right? It's a court full of players that thrive in the mid range. I didn't see a lot of that in the last couple of days of college hoops. Yeah. And one of the, one of the criticisms, we talked about this with David a couple of weeks ago. One of the criticisms of the NBA is that, I'm putting air quotes around this listeners. People don't play defense and that it's such a flawed way to think about the NBA. When you watch the college game, what you're seeing is an immense skills gap between the college game and the professional game. The offensive capabilities of the average NBA player versus the average college player is incredible. It is an it's a, an entirely different game because you can throw in college and you saw it in the, in the St. Peter's Murray state game, you can throw a one, a one, three, one 
at a decent average mm-hmm. college team. And it's going to mess with them. If you throw a junk defense at an NBA team, maybe you get away with it for a possession, but you can't do it over and over and over again, like you do in college. But one of the things I'm interested in when talking about today is what makes a team like the Suns so difficult to guard is that not only are they highly, highly skilled individually guys like Booker and they're, they're injured right now, but Cam Johnson, Chris Paul, Mikhail Bridges, to some extent, these guys have individual skill sets, but what you see married is I think the part of the college game that a lot of people appreciate is the team aspect. And on a team like the Suns, you're seeing an incredible team-oriented approach to the offensive end married with outstanding individually skilled players. And when that comes together, it makes an almost impossible to guard offense, or at the very least, it's going to make the Suns get good looks, even if it's not their best players getting that open look. So I would be interested to hear from listeners. Listeners, slide into our DMs on Twitter, respond to our post notifications about this episode with some of the distinctions that you're even seeing between the NBA and the college game. Because I think just watching, just from an eye test, the games are incredibly, incredibly different. Yeah. And one thing too, uh, I know you mentioned I guess the big picture, but also some individual players, two players that I've come away with very strong takes on and kind of got highlighted even more. Kevin O'Connor at the ringer put out his, his big board and his number one right now. And it seems to be a a pretty well-received take of Gonzaga's freshman Chet Holmgren being the number one overall pick. Number two on Kevin O'Connor's big board is my current favorite college basketball player to watch. And that's Jabari Smith out of Auburn. Uh, Jabari Smith averaging 17 and seven on 44% from three. He's 6'10, 210. Like big, strong, grown man at age 19. And then watching Gonzaga Memphis, I think that was last night, watching Chet just get bodied by another projected lottery pick, but even some other bigs. Uh, I don't know if this is correct. Chet is listed at seven foot 195. I beg to differ. That boy looking seven foot 145. It looked like a strong wind from the east could blow him over. And I, I struggle to see how a tall guy that is that lanky can be a legit, like, I don't know. It, that one really throws me off. I, I watched Gonzaga's games hoping to see it. But he's he's a 20-year-old freshman. Like, he's not like, oh, 18, he's got some whatever. Like, he's 20. Like, not to say that you still can't grow and develop. But, man, I've, I had to, like, go back and look at my old takes about certain centers who get picked number one overall or other drafts. And that one I'm still just scratching my head on. I know defensively the kid's a monster. He's averaging, I think, about four blocks a game throughout the entire year, which is quite impressive. But that one is interesting. That's my my one draft thing to look for. I would not be shocked to see one and two on that big board swap a little bit because I think one guy fits the NBA better and can immediately hang. But if you haven't watched any for real, Jabari Smith out of Auburn, kid is a freak. Like he looks like an NBA player got dropped onto a college team. And then they're like, yeah, he's like 19. 
And I, I could not believe it. And I've watched them in the SEC all year. Uh, Auburn is a very fun and explosive team, but he, he's a standout for sure. So it is, it's interesting starting to see as we're so focused at the top of the NBA standings to start looking at the bottom of the NBA standings and see what teams might have a, a shot of new life in the future. But yeah, a lot of college basketball still ahead of me. Some more to watch. We're we're recording right now for those listening on Sunday afternoon before the Suns-Kings game. So we got news just about an hour ago. I like wording that like someone decided to inform us. We got news via Twitter uh, that campaign is out tonight. Did it say illness or non-COVID illness? Non-COVID illness. Okay, non-COVID illness. Um, I think, Philip, you said they announced who's starting in his place. Is it Alfred? Yeah, Alfred's going to start instead of Cam, which is hopefully a good good way to keep Alfred connected to the team. I told, I think it was about a week and a half ago, we might have been watching a game together, Ethan. And I said, so sad Alfred. I, yeah, he, he looked disengaged a little bit. So I'm hoping the run that he got against Chicago and tonight's game against Sacramento will be a good way just to keep him involved and to keep him engaged with what's going on with the team. Yeah, well, let's you you mentioned Chicago. Let's go ahead and run back uh, this week for those that are listening. Maybe didn't catch the scores. Uh, our last episode came right on the heels of the thrashing of the Lakers on Sunday. Suns followed that up with a win Tuesday against the Pelicans, one thirty-one to one fifteen. Pretty close game for about three quarters, not quite all the way to the end of the third. And then the Suns took care of business. Suns then won Wednesday, second game of a back-to-back against the Rockets, 129-112. to uh, Another one, they kind of got that lead by the end of the third, and then I think the closest it got was an eight- or nine-point uh, deficit in the fourth. Kind of took care of business. Uh, and then the, the game of the week, at least for this podcast, Suns-Bulls, Suns taking care of business Friday night, 129-102. to uh, And definitely some, some Alfred talk coming there. But Philip, I know which game you cared about the most, but looking at the three games since last recording, uh, what really jumped out to you this week, just in terms of general Suns basketball? All right. For the new listeners, I'm a Bulls fan. The Bulls are my number one team and I just need, I really enjoy watching the Suns. I would call myself a Suns fan as well. It is not fun rooting against the Phoenix Suns. That was my big takeaway from from this week, when we get to our, just so you know, is at the end of the episode, I'm going to go into this a little bit further, but I, there were moments in the game where I was like, sons, please just make mistakes to give us a chance to get back into this game. And the sons were just clicking. It felt like a very Spursian kind of week. The Spurs that we grew up watching in the late aughts and then the 2010s where it's this relentless team where Devin Booker is a star in the league, but it's, it feels like it's not always flashy for the Suns. It's just really good basketball over and over and over again. And again, like I said, it was terrible to root against that on (laughs) turn against that on Friday night, but even, even more specifically for the Suns campaign continues to impress. I did a, a long time just by myself kind of getting my thoughts right on campaign last week this week he looked even more patient than he has in Mm -hmm. weeks past which i think is excellent waiting for plays to develop which is something we touched on last week is some 
area that he can improve. And then maybe the fun Phoenix story of the week was Tory Craig deciding to uh, no longer miss shots, which was pretty cool for like pretty impressive six or seven straight. Yeah. Six or seven straight quarters. He was really good. And I really love him defensively. I love his defensive mentality. So Cam and Tory both were, were bright spots thinking about the big picture this week for the Suns. Yeah, for sure. And I know we mentioned Cam being out for illness, but the injury bug continues to hit Phoenix, but you wouldn't know that based off the record or the stats. Um, One of the big stats this week that got a lot of national attention was the fact that since Chris Paul went out, the Suns are still leading in assists per game. And I think that's a massive testament to Monty's offense and also how well everyone knows their role. I think the Suns' success uh, making me feel even better about my coach of the year pick as the Suns just continue to do what they are programmed to do. And I think Monty gets a lot of love there. Uh, But in terms of new injuries, Chris Paul has been out. Cam Johnson has been out since the Knicks game. That one, I will admit, is starting to put up some tiny yellow flags. I'm not going to call them red flags quite yet. Uh, But at first I thought it was kind of just, you know, a, a bone bruise or a thigh bruise. It's odd how long he's taking unless they're just really playing it safe, which I guess they have uh, the liberty and means to do. Jay Crowder went out, um, played in the Pelicans game only 22 minutes, and then ended up sitting out the Bulls game as well as the Rockets game, which is why we saw the Torrey Craig increase. He decided to enjoy being a starter by not missing, like you said. Uh, but it's that's a lot. Like, a lot keeps happening, and they keep winning. Yeah, and Jay just – Listeners will know this because they're listening on Monday or Tuesday. Um, he is coming back tonight, so it's not nothing major with with Jay. And I saw a meme. I wish I could. I wish I could pull it up right now. I don't think I liked it, but it was it was something along the lines of like uh, at the top of the meme, it was like Phoenix Suns haven't been injured this season, and like the SpongeBob letters. And then the bottom of the meme was the I think it was like the McHale kind of funny look that he gives. You know that. You guys know the meme that I'm talking about. And it said something like, we're just good. You can't tell the difference. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think a big part of that storyline kicked off. And I remember commenting, I think it was a Bill Simmons pod with that, the guy from the Dallas Mavs brass, who I don't think is there anymore. um, And he was talking about, oh yeah, true number one, big threat. And yeah, he started rattling off like, yeah, they've only missed these many games. And I don't know if it's a jinx or the Suns just really wanted to prove everyone wrong, but they are continuing to just roll. Like I think they also have the best winning percentage since Chris Paul went out too. So it's not like we're just getting our assists, but losing games. They're still taking care of business. Yeah. And here's, here's the thing. Um, I know it's in vogue to complain about the national media. At least other teams announcers are recognizing how Mm -hmm. good the Suns are. I have a, I have a tendency to not listen to the Suns broadcast. And then Interesting. On, on Friday, I I love Stacey King and Adam Amin. They are, those are the Bulls broadcasters. They are a great, great duo. And in the middle of the broadcast, by the time it got to like 25, late in the third, 30 plus in the fourth, they're talking about other stuff. And they openly said, they openly said, the Phoenix Suns are the best team in basketball. I think Adam said that. And then Stacy followed up and said, and it's by a pretty wide margin at this point. So it's like people who are watching the game at a high level every day, 
seeing the players, interacting with the players, talking to the players, they are recognizing just how good the Suns are. And I, I think too, when you, when you remember how close the Suns were last year, um, you know, they had a 2-0 lead in the finals and people love to make up crap like they were lucky to get there. I don't care. They were up 2-0 against a good Bucks team. And this Suns team is a whole lot better than last year's. And that comes to something we talked about either tail end of last season or beginning of this season is what are the odds that a lot of these young guys can all make that jump together? And they are clearly showing us that it's very possible, uh, if not already done, as Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, uh, DeAndre Ayton, who I have a special point to talk about later, like those dudes have all made a step up. Campaign seems like he is showing his value again in big moments without Chris Paul. And they've added extra pieces around. JaVale's been great. I'm glad Tory's getting hopefully some confidence back. Landry Shamit's getting his confidence. Other teams do not need to be uh, happy if they're seeing what the Suns are putting together leading up to the playoffs, especially some of these dudes who are in like the six through 10 range who are getting their confidence and showing out like that is that's got to be scary when you imagine playing them and trying to win four of seven. So Suns fans have a lot to be excited about. Been a good week. It's always nice when you uh, win handily and don't have to be too stressed out especially with all the injuries, right? There's a lot of ways things could have gone wrong. But with this week uh, kind of recapped, talked about in general, we now move on to what makes Into the Valley Into the Valley. And that is our highs, our lows, and our just so you knows in Phoenix Suns basketball. Philip, high in Phoenix Suns basketball for you, sir. And I know this week's going to be a little tougher than usual, given how uh, things got a little personal for you. But we're going to be optimistic for a sec. All right, hang on. Let, let's talk about how I approach fandom. Uh, we were watching. You were a pleasure. very healthy Bulls fan. I, I can say I was right there next to you. We we had the pleasure of watching the game together. We actually got to see Ryan and his for his work travels on Friday. So Ethan and I went out, hung out with Ryan for a little bit, and then went back to Ethan's place and watched the game. And our guy, Serge, the chug father, had the tweet that said, the Bulls are not that guy, pal. Which is which is true. When it comes to the NBA, there are levels to this, and Bulls are like a third or fourth tier down. When you think of like the Suns being the apex contender, then genuine contenders below that, maybe contenders if you squint. I wouldn't even say the Bulls are maybe contenders. But the Suns proved themselves to be significantly, significantly better than the Bulls on Friday night. And a big reason for that and my high of the week was because of the play of DeAndre Ayton. I was a huge fan of his this week. Statistically, 20 points, nine rebounds on 61% of the from the field, basically 92% from the line in 26 minutes. In 26 minutes, the big's putting up 20 and nine. He's looking like 60%, that, 60%, 92. He is that guy. His offensive, now, this is just three games. So understand that this is statistically significant within kind of a small context. Offensive rating for this week, basically 135. Mm. Defensive net rating for him this week, 107. That's a big boy net rating. 
Now, team stats this week, because the team was really good, 133 offensively. The offense was just clicking this week, 111 defensively, but the pace was up slightly. What it says is the team was great this week, and they were even greater with DA on the court. Okay, so why is that? Why is that the case? I'll use the Bulls as as an example. Early on in the game, first six minutes of the first quarter, the Bulls were doing a nice job of getting downhill on the Suns, forcing DA to help on their drivers, and Vooch got a couple pretty easy layups, floaters, essentially wide open. Eventually, the defensive scheme switched up to invite Vooch into one-on-one matchups with DA and even JaVale when he was in the game. And man, DA was all over it. He was really, really good defensively. It messed up Vooch's rhythm. And you could see if you go back and watch some of the game and even some of the highlights late in the first half, and it even carried over into the second half, the Bulls were getting frustrated. And it was because they were running into to some defensive stalwarts with DA and JaVale down low who played exceptionally well against, against Vooch. Big picture, though, the reason that DA, I think, has been has been so good this season and just shined this week is his rim running is still a very real threat. But his ability this season to knock down that 10 to 15 foot jumper, the importance of that cannot be overstated. That means that the driver, whoever has the ball campaign right now, Booker sometimes CP3, can probe and they can do more because DA can just sit in that empty space, usually around the elbow or right at the nail. And because he's a very real threat, eventually defenses are going to have to stay out on that, which should open up probably, especially for Booker driving lanes to the basket. It's, it has been one of my favorite parts of the season to watch him flourish into this center who is again a very real threat down low when he gets good position he has a great hook shot right now shout out to the homie david for doing a lot of good work with da's hook shot but then his ability to step out to the mid-range and knock it down is is great he as individually he is unlocking different components of the sun's offense so my high for the week was also deandre and I took it a slightly different direction than just the general efficiency. My thing personally, upon rewatching and going back and thinking about previous DeAndre games up till now, I think he has finally figured out how to play his own version of 0.5 offense. And Monty has been, I mean, that's been Monty's thing, right? It's the quick decision the whole time. Keep the defense guessing, makes it hard to read, makes everything fluid. He is making not just good decisions, but quick decisions. Like you said, he's catching at the elbow, the nail, the, I mean, even under the basket, he is not wasting time. He maybe will hit you with a jab step. I prefer jab step to then shot. I think we saw a pump fake and then an actual shot. And it just looked not quite as in rhythm, but he is just making such quick decisions. And that doesn't allow the defender to get where they need to. And imagine trying to, contest properly a seven foot 
14 inch giant with a smooth jump shot. Like that is, that's ridiculous. And that's where you start seeing the comparisons to some of the Robinson Duncan type where it's just like this guy, when he's, when he's on, you can't stop him. Like, how are you planning on contesting that? Because again, when you catch it under the hoop back to basket, you try to out physical, you try to out maneuver, you try to what it like, all you're doing is giving the time for the defense to get set up, reposition, bait you into something stupid. I don't care. When you catch and make a quick decision, and we've seen it not just catching and shooting, he's put it on the floor. We saw a couple instances this week of him putting it on the floor. And it, I think someone grabbed on Twitter, grabbed a video of this week, and then grabbed a clip from him in Arizona. And it was like, oh, it's that guy. Because he grabbed it right about the nail, quick pump, dribble right, finger roll, beautiful. And it's like, wow, this is that incredible high ceiling offensively that the Suns talked about when they drafted him, right? Like that draft and who got drafted in the top five outside of Bagley, sorry to throw some shade there. Like there will always be discussions about what is the ceiling for these dudes? Like there was an insane amount of talent at the top of that draft. And the Suns made it very clear. They saw an offensive ceiling and a defensive improvement that they truly believed in that would unlock the number one potential of this guy. And again, offensively, the decision-making being that quick, I feel like is within the last week or two where that's really jumped out to me in terms of reading through my notes. Um, But just the efficiency in general is incredible. And that's been pretty consistent enough for, I feel like us to feel pretty confident to talk about, but I'm hoping to see more of that come end of the season, come playoff time, when you're having to make a Gobert, a Jokic, a whoever, make a very quick read and react type of defensive move that, to your point, everything else is even more open than it used to be now. You are allowing all five offensive players to have way more at their disposal. So, yeah, he, for me, just shined this week. Um, I will honestly throw myself under the bus here. I did not pay too much attention to him defensively because of the basketball that was being played, but I was also incredibly focused on the offensive side of his game to when I was doing my rewatches, there were certain stints I went to go find because I wanted to watch those minutes. And so defensively, I can't give a, a true analytical opinion here. Obviously I, your defensive rating alone, again, four other good dudes out there. Um, but man, he just looked great. Like I was just thrilled to see that because that's that's the eight and you need in the playoffs to say, oh goodness, that's that's a lot of weapons to try to stop. So I, I am I am I riding the train too hard? Am I am I too much into this one? No, because when when you watch the Suns, something flips when Mikhail and or Da comes back on the court. They are, they are a different kind of team when those two guys are in. Obviously, when Booker and CP3 are in the game, that's, that's a different level of individual ability. But what Mikhail and DA do for the team concept, I think, is, is something really special that we're seeing this, this year. Now, here's the tricky part. In a week where they just mollywopped three straight teams, do you have a loaf for the good people the listeners of into the valley. I do, but it's not a good one. Um, I was frustrated 
and this is just Ethan, the selfish basketball fan. I didn't like, and I think you're already, I know you're going to disagree with me. I didn't like Alfred Payton getting 18 minutes against the Bulls with the coach's reasoning being, I thought his length and his athleticism would help defensively given the matchup, right? I don't foresee, personally, I don't foresee Alfred playoff minutes, even if that type of logic can be attempted to be used against another team. I think, I think Holiday is that, that third guy. And it was very funny watching him get his, what, how much, like four minutes maybe? They threw him in right at the end of the game, six minutes, and he had nine points. So in his six minutes, he got nine points, didn't miss a shot, hit a three, got an assist, got a rebound. And I think the, the final tally, Alfred 0 of 4 from the field, three rebounds, four assists on 18 minutes. Like, I get it. I'm, I'm intrigued why he's getting to start tonight. And maybe he will make me eat crow, as the old folks say, and, and do a fantastic job filling in for Cam tonight. But that was a bit of a bummer. But again, I get it. But I've just been enjoying holiday minutes, and I kind of want to see more of what he can do in a sense to project what the future may look like, and that might be a little too much of a stretch. But Peyton's not in the future plans. I think holiday could be. So I want to see more of him in these Chris Paulist times we're living in because this might be his longest stint to get those minutes if Chris Paul's not going anywhere. Yeah, and my Milo, interestingly enough, is Aaron. Not not because he was particularly bad this week. It's that he wasn't good. So this is this is less of a low than a. I'm kind of lukewarm on Aaron's play from this past week, and I don't even have he averaged what was it four points, three assists this week. So there's nothing majorly wrong. Yeah, right. I test wise, I just didn't think the ball moved as well when he was on the court. I thought his facilitating was a little clunky. This weekend, some of the spacing with him left a little bit to be desired. But again, this is this is reiterating a point that I made earlier on. And part, part of the reason why it's so it can feel so helpless rooting against the Phoenix Suns. It's late in the season. The Suns, I guess, are still playing for the one seed. They have it all kind of. wrapped up there. If you're a, if you're a baseball fan, their magic number is probably in the single digits. By this point, when you think of yeah. the combination of wins and Grizzlies and Warriors losses. And I think the Grizzlies and, dropped one this week too. Yeah. Which and helps. even, even the magic number for the overall number one seed for the, for the NBA finals, should it, should it get to that point? Because the heat and Grizzlies and Warriors were like right around the same, right around the same record. So we're, we're genuinely like, I, I watched for low points this week and I went back and watched and looked at box scores and tried to find something. And the best I could do was Aaron holiday. Wasn't as good as he has mm-hmm. been in the past few weeks this week. Pretty nice when your low point is talking about the uh, potential third point guard battle, but yeah, no, I, I agree. And I did too, man. I looked, I looked through a bunch of numbers of like, was someone off and I just didn't get it. But like, let's look at our usual sh- suspects. Landry Shamit shot like 50% from three. So no easy one there to make fun of. Uh, JaVale played great. Defensively, he was great. Offensive production was solid too. Uh, McHale was McHale as always. Aiton played out of his mind. Payne put a great week together. Torrey Craig went super Saiyan and is, hasn't missed a shot in two games going into tonight. Like there, there was not much to be upset about. Uh, and that's a great thing. So 
I guess I guess we should enjoy this, not having too many lows to talk about. But uh, just so you know, for the week, Philip, I know you said you've got one ready to go. So what do you got for us? The Phoenix Suns are very hard to guard. That's the that's the just so you know. And I'm gonna kick it back to you. I have pretty detailed notes uh, on different sets that the Suns ran in each of their games against the Pelicans, Rockets, and Bulls. So, Ethan, I'm gonna kick it to you for the fleshed out example. Which which game would you like to hear about? The set from the Pelicans game, the Rockets game, or the Bulls Ooh. game? I want to go Pelicans. I enjoy that was the game I enjoyed the most this week because it was a fun little revenge game. I enjoyed it. All right, this is a and this is a good good play because they run it a lot as well. All right, listeners, you got to envision this with me. Devin Booker brings the ball up the court with campaign in the left corner. Mikhail spaced all the way to the right corner. Jay Crowder and Da come to the top of the key for a double pick. Jay actually hits Booker's man and flares out to the left wing. DA doesn't make contact with anybody and slips. So it looks like it's going to be a double screen and it winds up being one screen and DA slipping. Now here are the options. There, there are five very real options on this play. Option number one, nobody covers Booker coming off the pick. So we can go right to the basket that can happen. Option number two, the help, the Booker was going left to right. So as DA is rolling, help needs to come from the left corner. If that help is slow, the DA gets an easy duck in. That's what happened on this play. If help comes too early from that left corner, it's a very easy pivot and skip pass to the left corner for a good three-point shooter campaign being wide open. If for some reason, this is this would be bad basketball, but if for some reason they get panicked and they crash from the right side, they crash from the strong side, pass out to Mikhail, Mikhail is wide open. If all three defenders who get put in that action don't communicate and they all run a Booker or DA, then it's kind of a an awkward looking but effective jump pass out to Jay Crowder for an open three. That to say, no matter what you do defensively there, unless you have the ability to just switch and then be comfortable with DA taking one of your smaller defenders down to the block, unless you switch against that kind of a set, the Suns are going to get a decent look at worst. Worst case scenario, it's a decent look. Best case scenario, it's an open layup, which is exactly what they got. And again, we could we could go on and on. I wish we had the time to do video breakdowns like some of the other people do on Sun's Twitter, just to show how good this offense is. And this is two minutes into the game. They're putting the Pelicans into an almost impossible position where it's either let the, um, what's the kid's name? Alvarado, mm. let Alvarado go one-on-one with DA on the block, or we got a crash and then the ball starts spraying in different directions and we're giving up open threes. The Suns, I say this all the time, and it's one of the one of the reasons I'm so happy that Ryan and Ethan invited me in to, to do this podcast. The Suns play a beautiful, beautiful brand of basketball, and that is on display very frequently on the offensive end. Part of the reason I picked that game, too, is because I figured there would be plenty of great examples. The Suns shot in that game 
53% from three and 54 from the field. They were on, they were just on. And it made me really happy. Uh, my, just so you know, not that exciting, but just, just to recap, I think it's important to realize how rare it is to be winning at the rate they are with so many players missing. Uh, I could have taken the time to look at how many total minutes are missing from all these games and all these injuries, but I love you guys enough to tell you that I just wasn't going to do that because I don't think it was, I don't think the return on investment would be there. I don't think you'd listen and be like, whoa, 116 minutes. Right. So I wasn't going to do that, but I just wanted to just remind you that currently without an all-star slash Hall of Fame point guard for a lot without Cam Johnson, who was just scorching when he got hurt for a while now with Booker gone for multiple games. Campaign's about to be out again after a very long exit. Goodness, who am I missing? Jay Crowder's now missed a couple games. Torrey just entered the fold. Like, that's that's nuts. Like, it is, it's rare to see that happen. And so when you pull up the standings on NBA.com or ESPN or whatever, whatever makes you happy here, and you just keep, you keep looking at like that last little section usually where it's like last 10 games, right? You expect the Suns to start slipping at some point. Like we've not seen a real dip. Like they're eight and two of their last 10, riding a four game winning streak again. They're 30 and eight at home, 27 and six on the road. And the number that has slowly been the one to make me the most excited, they're 33 and nine in conference. So yes, there's another team out there that would have to be a finals contender on the other side of things in the East. But if you're just looking at the West and who might be in front of you, 33 and nine in the West, that makes me very happy. Uh, and I just, I, again, I just can't get over what this team is putting together. And I think we mentioned the two big stats, win percentage and assists per game, both continue to stay tops. I wouldn't be shocked if you told me the assists per game were still tops just because the offense they ran, but they dropped a few. I also wouldn't be surprised if you said, you know, there's a lot of talent. They keep winning games, but it's not in the way we were accustomed to. But the fact that they're able to play the same brand of basketball that they have played the whole time and have the same exact results and see the same outcomes, that is just, it's twofold. A massive, massive kudos to Monty Williams for building out the game plan that he has to where you get told, hey, right before the game, you're starting four is out. He plugs someone else in and things can be seamless. And it's also a huge kudos to James Jones for constructing a team that is so ridiculously deep that announcers for games are talking about, do you think the Suns players four through 10 would still make the playoffs? And once they said the answer was yes, what seed would it be? Right? Like that's, that is so abnormal. Um, So just enjoy it guys. Like if you're watching the Suns, I know usually as the end of the season kind of trudges along sometimes, there's not as much to be excited about or, or worth watching, but 
I think the injuries have given us an opportunity to, to see more basketball and different types and different opportunities for some of these guys, the Alfreds, the holidays, the Tories. Um, it's a good thing. It's, it's something to keep an eye on. And as we get close to the playoffs, Philip, I think it is going to be real interesting to see what those rotations are. I currently, I am more intrigued by our playoff rotations than who we're playing in the first round. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what you do with so much depth and so much talent. So, uh, Philip, I think we, I think we managed to make it through an entire episode with the bulls getting spanked without really hammering it home too much. I'm used to it. The spanking or the bulls. Yes. Yes. Thank you. If you don't dear listeners, if you don't keep up with the rest of the NBA, that's, that's fine. That's your prerogative. The, the bulls have made their money beating really bad teams this year. So whenever the bulls play someone good, I expect them to lose. And when the bulls play a great team, like the Suns, I expect them to get smacked, which they did. They did indeed. But with that, the Suns are able to continue the win streak going into a Kings game that tips off in 30 minutes. And this, this is the, this is the camaraderie that you come here for. I started this episode by bringing up Ethan's pain in the UK loss to St. Peter's and we're ending with my pain with the Bulls game. So we come full circle here at End of the Valley Phoenix podcast, part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for uh, joining us once again and for listening to us share in each other's sorrows and mourn with those who mourn. Uh, It has been a good week of Suns basketball. I'm hoping for another one up ahead. If you are new here, Thank you for joining. We hope you stick around for another episode next week. New episodes coming out on Mondays, almost every week on the Brightside Podcast Network. Feel free to subscribe to that channel and see the, the material and the content that's being put out there. Uh, and again, feel free to DM us, tweet us, whatever, at the Valley PHX on Twitter. Uh, for Philip, I am Ethan Shutt. This is Into the Valley Phoenix Suns Podcast. We out.